You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Reds fans? My name is Jeff Carr, and you are Locked On Reds. What's going on, Reds fans? Welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast here on this Phone It In Friday. I have with me Doug Gray from RedsMinorLeagues.com and RedLegNation.com in just a moment. Before we get to that, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and the Himalaya Podcasting app. Also, hit us up on Twitter at Locked On Reds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs, and then head on over to LockedOnReds.com for even more content. Also, a quick shout-out to one of the presenting sponsors for the Locked On Reds podcast, Hotels.com. Stop hate-liking your friend's vacation and book one of your own. Hotels.com has great rates and a great rewards program so that you can get out and get away much quicker than you originally thought. Head on over to Hotels.com. I booked my trip for this year on Hotels.com. And you should too. For today's Phone in Friday, I have the man in charge of RedLegNation.com and RedsMinorLeagues.com, the one, the only, Doug Gray. How you doing, Doug? I'm all right, Jeff. How are you doing? Well, I'll tell you what, um, probably a little bit better than the major league uh, offices. I don't know. Like I, I feel like last night, and we're recording this on Thursday, so Wednesday night, the major league offices probably were a little shaky with their PR when it comes to player safety, fan safety, all of this stuff that's been going on just that singular day with the, you know, if if some of you don't know what we're talking about, the Cubs game where a child was struck by a very hard hit line drive and uh, the debate, I don't know that it's a debate really, but the whole thought of increasing the netting in the infield just ramped right back up. I don't know why it took this for us to talk more about it, but let's start with the end of the Reds and Pirates series. Doug, tell me why baseball justice is an outdated philosophy. Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. Not that it was ever a a good philosophy to begin with to throw a baseball at someone over a perceived slight on their part. Um, but, you know, back in the day, so to speak, when you threw a baseball at a guy, you know, half the league didn't throw 80 miles an hour. It was not nearly as dangerous as it is today when everybody throws 95 plus. Um, I, I mean, again, I, not that I think that it was ever a good idea to throw a baseball at someone, but it's a lot different today than it was in 1937. when half the league literally couldn't throw 80 miles an hour. Uh, it, it's a safety issue, and really, I mean, it's just, it's just dumb. It, it really is a stupid thing to do. I mean, you're, uh, David Bell said it after the game last night. You're, you're risking somebody's livelihood over, over what? Because he stared at a baseball one and a half seconds longer than you would have liked? I, I mean, what, what are we really talking about here? It's ridiculous. Right, and then you had all of the 
pirates, you know, social media, their fan base, their talk radio, everyone was basically saying, oh, it's unintentional, and let's talk about how horrible of a person we think Derek Dietrich is, and just like, guys, you are missing the point. I mean, last year, Suarez got hit on the hand by Jameson Tyon, and it broke his hand. Like, he got lucky this time around in that it didn't do any damage, and then, of course, Joey Votto getting hit by Ryan Madsen in the leg, like, we're not even talking about where the ball was actually at, like, Suarez ducked out of the way, could have hit him in the head. I, I think right. that that right there, that's why you don't throw at people because you don't exactly know where it's going to go. I mean, let's, let's play this out. The pitcher last night said that the ball got away from him. Well, if the ball got away from him and missed by three and a half feet in each direction, because <laughs> yeah. you know, it was, a, it was supposed to be a low outside fastball and it hit Suarez in the hand. I mean, if, if that's the control that we, ex- we think that major league pitchers have, if your argument is, well, they should they can throw at people as long as they hit them in whatever stupid body part you're going to say, uh, you're wrong because they don't have that kind of control. I mean, Greg Maddox didn't have that kind of control. He missed a lot. Of course, he was just insane with the movement that he had, so even when he missed, good luck. But, right. I mean, they don't have—I mean, we, we've seen this before, and I, I, I'm, I'm a baseball nerd, so I've probably seen it more than a lot of other people, but people have tried to track— you know, where the pitch is quote-unquote called for, where the catcher sets up his glove, and then where the pitch goes, the average major league pitcher misses, misses that by 18 inches. I mean, the control just isn't there. Don't try and throw baseball at people. Well, and then what got to me, too, was the reaction by the umpires in that there was absolutely nothing said to the Pirates, and David Bell was ejected. And then you had the exact same scenario. It's very eerie how it all played out because back in April, whenever the whole fiasco in Pittsburgh happened, later on that day, I think it was either later on that day or the next day, in the White Sox-Royals game, there was a deal with Tim Anderson of the White Sox getting hit because he admired a home run. Literally, Wednesday night, the Royals hit Tim Anderson again, and immediately the umpire juts out from his position and ejects the pitcher. Like, doesn't even give two seconds for Tim Anderson to retaliate. And I'm like, dude, that is the right move. Why on earth would you eject David Bell? That just makes no sense to me. I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't understand it. I mean, he was out there calm for, what, three minutes? Trying right. to have a conversation, just trying to give... I mean, what appeared to me to get the umpire to warn the pirates, say, "Hey, you hit another batter, you're getting ejected." I, I, like I feel like that that would have squashed the situation between David Bell and the umpires, and for whatever reason, they were not willing to do that. And then he lost his mind because, I mean, again, after after the game, he talked about it. The umpires aren't going to protect his players. It's very clear at this point. Right. He even, and he even like passes down a mandate almost to tell his players, like, you got to protect yourselves because no one else is going to do it. It's very evident. And I tend to agree with him. I, I hate that it would have to come to that, but he's not wrong because nothing happened to Clint Hurdle and the Pirates, if, if I'm misremembering, uh, you know, I, I'm misremember a lot, but nothing happened to Clint Hurdle and the Pirates really the first time around. And no, now, I mean, Chris Archer faced a five-game suspension, which literally is nothing other than a fine. Right. I mean, he doesn't get paid for that time off, but it didn't affect the Pirates or Chris Archer. He wasn't going to pitch for those five days anyways. I mean, I yeah, know, they they pushed the start back by one day. Big deal. It didn't right. matter. 
he, you know, when that happens, they quote unquote appeal because it's not an immediate appeal. And then they just wait until there's a day off and then they drop the appeal and don't actually have to miss any time whatsoever. Right. It's essentially a mandated vacation. Yeah. And the, it's it's fine. It that's that's what it works out to be. It's a fine. Yeah. There is no suspension. And then I as of recording right now, the league has released no statement whatsoever about this most recent incident. So it it just I I don't know. Maybe Clint Hurdle has some kind of blackmail on the umpires or the league, but he seems to be able to just dole out whatever justice, quote unquote, he thinks he deserves to do if he gets butt hurt by somebody cuz I I went back and I looked at some articles like he had one even just this past spring training with the Rays. He had his whole deal with Javier Baez last year. It's it's almost as if he is the unwritten czar of the unwritten rules. And I think that's ridiculous. Well, I mean, it, it comes from the very top. Joe Torrey, who, if you're unaware, he's the man in charge of handing out the punishments, the suspensions, the fines, all that. There's no evidence whatsoever that he is going to do anything about it. And if he's not going to actually make teams or managers pay for throwing at hitters, then what, what's, what's to stop them from doing it? Absolutely nothing. Well, I tell you what, I know we could go about a lot longer on this, but um, let's uh, change gears here. Let's get a little bit happier with the way that the Reds are playing. And I know they just split the series. We really wanted to see them win three out of four, maybe even get a four-game sweep because we, I think you and I are on the same page when I say that overall I think the Reds are a better team than the Pirates this year. With the way that they've been here lately, the Cubs series and the Pirates series, all that other stuff, how are you feeling about the Reds the rest of the way? Do you feel like your preseason notions of this team are any different now? Not really. I mean, I, I think I predicted them to be 83 or 84 wins, and I, I don't think they're going to get there this year. I, I think that the 1-8 and eight start just kind of ruined that. It, it just put them too much, too far into a hole. But I feel that talent-wise, that's what they are. They're, they're, a, they're a solid to good team. They're not a good to great team. And I, I feel like, for, at least for the last, what, month plus, that's what they've been playing like. Mm. Um, or, I'm sorry, two months. I mean, since, pretty much since the mid-first week of April, they're right around 500. I mean, that that feels like what this team is to me. You know, somewhere in that 500, slightly better than 500 team. But that start, that 1-8, and eight, it just it set them behind, and I, I, I just don't see that 84-85 that win kind of thing going on. But I, I think that this is what we're going to see, a, a slightly inconsistent team who's going to be battling to get back to 500 because of that start. I'm with you because the more and more that I come up with narratives and ideas and thoughts about what I think this team is, then they change the narrative. Like, almost immediately. I'm like, oh, they're on a run. They're going to be good. Then they lose 7-2 to the Pirates. I'm like, okay, maybe I need to cool off on that. Or like even back whenever they blew the game in Milwaukee, that second game last uh, Wednesday, was it? Yeah last Wednesday, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this team, they're just they're just going to struggle all the way through. And then they go into Chicago, and they win that series, and I'm like, okay. Uh, their whole deal is, I, I'm with you. I think they're going to finish 500. I was kind of hot takey in the preseason. I'm like, oh, they're going to make a wild card run. And I, uh, I'd hate to back off that right now, but I think I'm starting to back off that. 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, I, I think that's a, a reasonable stance. I, I mean, I could have, if I squinted hard enough at the, in the preseason, I could see where that, you know, 87, 88 win team could push for a wild card. But I, I mean, as I keep saying, that one and eight start, it that's it's just so tough to overcome that. And I think that comes into into play a little bit with the fan reaction too. Um, I mean, when you look at what the Reds' overall record is right now, you feel disappointed because they're under 500, and so every win or loss. Yeah, you're kind of like, you get excited, but then you're like, oh man, this team, you know, they're still not any good because you look and you see that they're under 500, despite the fact that they've actually played fairly well for the last, you know, 55 days. And now we come to the part of the season where these last few years have been at least not necessarily... Soul, soul, soul crushing. Soul crushing is the word you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As the... <laughs> yeah, so crush. As the purveyor of one redsminorleagues.com, this is a period of the season when you I think are the most busy. Would you say this is your most busiest time? Uh yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we if you don't know what we're referring to, on Monday the Major League Baseball draft will commence and it'll happen for about 3 days and the Reds have the number 7 overall pick in this draft. And the first question, and I've heard everybody ask this, but I also want to get your take too on this. Is this a good year for the Reds to have the number seven overall pick? Absolutely not. That's this, this, this draft is the, the top two guys in the draft kind of set themselves apart from everybody else. I mean, really it's the number one guy, Adley Roosman out of Oregon state. He's number one. Then there's a huge gap to Bobby Witt jr. And then there's a pretty decent sized gap between him and everybody else. Um, I mean, obviously it's, it's always better to be drafting higher in the draft. I mean, the number seven pick is definitely better than having, you know, the 20th pick, sure. uh, but, but this is not a good year where picking seventh is like, Ooh, good. We're going to, we're going to get that future all-star. I mean, yes, you could. I mean, Mike Trout went 24th overall, maybe it was 25th. It was one of the two. The Angels had back-to-back picks and still picked him second and I'll never forgive him for it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you, you can get that guy there, but right now with the way things stack up, this this is a relatively weak draft, uh, and, you know, you, you can't really pick the year that you're going to be drafting. You don't really, you know, for as much as I like to talk about the draft and the prospects, uh, you, you can't really plan on it like you can in, in basketball or maybe football. Uh, you, know, you know, tank for whoever. We've, we've seen that in other sports the last couple of years, you know. You know, just just lose as many games as you can because this this stud is coming up through college, or whatever. And it doesn't work that way in baseball. Um, but even so, you know, it, it's not really a good year to be you know, in in the top ten like it has been in some other years where the, the talent is a lot deeper at the top. So I can surmise by what you're saying that there is no Mike Leak in this draft. I mean, guys, let's talk about sex for a minute. Now I know. That's not necessarily something you want to hear on a baseball podcast, but hear me out. If you are looking for a performance boost in the bedroom, then there is a product for you that is new, and it's Blue Chew. Go to BlueChew.com and enter promo code MLB. You get your first order free. You just pay $5 in shipping. Here's the thing with Blue Chew. If you're looking for a performance boost, but you don't want to go through all that crap, talking to a doctor, or all of the embarrassment of getting a prescription at CVS or Walgreens or, you know, whatever pharmacy, check out BlueChew.com. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com and enter promo code MLB. You get your first order for free 
And all you do is pay $5 in shipping. That's promo code MLB. Give it a try today to get that boost in the bedroom. B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code MLB. <laughs> I know. I just it it rarely ever happens that you got a guy that goes straight from the draft to the majors. But yeah, I'm... well, I I don't think we're ever going to see that again unless yeah. they change the rules. Because when Mike Leake did that, he was drafted in June. He didn't make his major league debut until the next April. He just didn't. The, the signing date was in with the middle of August back then, and he didn't sign until the last day. He didn't play that year, and then he went and played fall ball in the Arizona Fall League. Which you know people always say, oh, he went straight to the majors. Eh, sort of. He played in an affiliated minor league winter league. Okay. But we're not going to see that here. No. No, okay. absolutely not. So let's run over. Let's take a look at what are the three guys that you're looking at? Because I've seen a few names. The one that I've seen the most is Nick Lodolo. But what are the three guys that you're looking at number seven? I, I mean, if we're going to talk about guys that the Reds have been linked to the most, it, it's Nick Lodolo, like you just mentioned, left-handed starting pitcher at a TCU. Um, he, he's the number one pitching prospect on pretty much every draft board. Um, he's been a guy who's been consistent throughout the spring. Um, you know, pro, I mean, definitely not going to be the an ace as far as anybody can tell, but you know, a guy who can come in and be a number three probably pretty quickly. Um, one of the guys that's popped up lately. Now, they've been linked to this guy a little bit throughout the spring, but he, he's kind of really risen up mm, probably in the last month or so is Alec Manoa, uh, big, huge right-hander out of West Virginia. Physically, he kind of looks like a, a younger Aaron Harang. Um, you know, he's six foot seven, 265 pounds, um, really good stuff. Um, and then the, the third guy, this, now he's a wild card here because most people don't think he's going to get there, but Andrew Vaughn. First base, Matt Cal. Um, it, it seems he's the guy the Reds really, really, really want, um, but they just—it doesn't seem like he's going to get there. Uh, but if if any of the hitters in, that are projected to go in the top six are going to fall to the Reds, it's probably him. He's he's a five foot eleven right-handed hitting first baseman, but everybody pretty much thinks that he's the best hitter in, in the draft class. So you, you've kind of got one side going, he's really, really good, and the other side kind of going. Yeah, but he's a short right-handed hitting first baseman, and those guys, well, they've never really existed in Major League Baseball. So looking at Lodolo, you said that his, he could be a number three guy and rather quickly. You think he'd be like a two-year in the minor leagues guy or maybe even a one-year? Uh, maybe. I, I mean, one, you, you never really know with pitchers because one pitch can change a guy's entire career with an injury. Sure. Uh, but if if you're going to look at this, pitching class and say, you know, who's going to be the starting pitcher that gets there the fastest, it's probably going to be him. Uh, he throws a lot of strikes. He's got good stuff, left-hander. Um, you know, it, it's just he's the guy that kind of stands out a little bit above everybody else in terms of that that quickness to the major leagues. He, he's a little bit more polished than the other guys. You mentioned it's probably pretty rare that Vaughn falls to them. Uh, what, what do you think, at, at, looking at some of the teams ahead of them, what do you think the chances are of that happening? I mean, uh, 10, 15% maybe. Um, you know, I, I think that the number one and number two spots are locked in. I think that's going to be Russman and, and Bobby Witt Jr. After that, it really does depend. Um, you know, if teams get a little bit concerned about maybe signing bonus money, and so they'll draft a guy that maybe they had ranked 10th instead of 4th, 
and then try and use that money to draft somebody else and say the 30s that drops down a little bit. You, you see that happen sometimes, and you've seen a few rumors with uh, you know, the White Sox have kind of been rumored about kicking that around. Um, and if, if that happens, then he could be there. Um, nobody is feeling confident that it's going to happen, but the, the rumors are out there that a couple of teams ahead of the Reds might make quote-unquote value picks where you know they'll, they'll take somebody who's a little bit further down the draft board to save some money to spend later in the draft. Um, and, and if that happens, I, I think a guy like Andrew Vaughn or uh, you know, maybe Riley Green, you know, a high school outfielder, could fall to them. Um, you know, the, the big thing with the Reds is it seems that they really do want to bat at number seven. But any of the bats they've got rated that highly, they're all in the top six, and they don't expect them to be there. Beyond number seven, what do their picks look like? Yeah, they 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 did have a uh, first round compensation pick, but they actually traded that in one of the trades in the offseason, so they don't have that anymore. Okay. Uh, so they just have a a first rounder and a second rounder. Um, so they're they're going to have less money to spend this year than they've had in quite a while because they they did lose a lot of money in that with with that trade of that pick. Um, but um, let me think here. So yeah, they've got the they've got the first round pick and then the second round pick, um, and I think that is it. This yeah, I don't I don't think they've got a compensation pick this year after that. I noticed on some of your articles that you have at RedsMinorLeagues.com. If you guys are not checking that out, definitely hit the bookmark button there. Which I don't know that there's a bookmark button, but anyway, just just, just make it your homepage. It's fine. Yeah, make it your homepage. Go there all the time. It's got a lot of good information on. But I mean, I'm being serious too. But like looking at the thing, like you said, that it's very top heavy. It's very shallow. Is there any sort of? And I I know that saying sleeper is a little goofy with the MLB draft because there's so many rounds. But is there like a later round guy that maybe could pop up on the Reds' radar? I I really don't think so. I think that in the day and age we're we're in right now, it's really tough to find sleepers. I mean, everybody knows everybody. Um, you know, it, it, it's just like everything else. The information is so abundant. Everybody has access to it. And in Major League Baseball, they they actually do a really good job of, well, I mean, first off, you got to think everybody's got, you know, their their showcases now. So it's really tough to hide, you know, coming out of high school, even if, you know, you're from nowhere anymore. Because everybody goes to these showcases to try and get scholarships. And, I mean, if you've ever been around high school sports, the real athletes stand out like a sore thumb. So you, you, you find these guys rather easily now compared to, say, even just 25 years ago uh, when the showcases weren't nearly as extreme. Um, and, you know, a, a guy who, for example, you know, maybe played in New Jersey, who, you know, they played for a month and a half because of the weather. You know, guys like that could sneak under the radar. And, you know, only, you know, the teams that are on the East Coast got to see these guys. That, that, that's not happening anymore. What are you looking for in the differences between this new scouting director and what the Reds used to have? You know, I, I think that one thing that the Reds focused on more so in the past that maybe some other organizations didn't is, let's say, in, in, the, in the rounds 10 through 20, which... If, if you haven't really done too much research on the Major League Baseball draft, there's 40 drafts or 40 rounds in the draft. Um, but basically, if you're not a first rounder, your odds of even getting a cup of coffee in the Major Leagues is like 20% or less. Uh, and it, it 
decreases dramatically with each round it goes by. Uh, but in, in rounds 10 through 20, the Reds have taken guys who were flawed, very raw, but they had that one or two tools that could be a major league tool. You know, a guy that throws, you know, 97 miles per hour, doesn't have a good breaking ball, doesn't have a good changeup, doesn't have control, something like that. Whereas other teams, not all of them, some of them take guys who, you know, maybe they, their ceiling is more of like a double-A kind of player. Um, and that's okay for them because they they see that kind of guy as someone who's going to help these other players develop who, you know, they've got more money invested in that, you know, they're going to help them win at the minor league level. They're going to do the little things to make that team better. And the, the idea is that if the team is playing better, the team is winning more, that you learn things that you're not going to learn when, say, you're 15 and 30. Um, and I, I think that the Reds have kind of been more of a team that's looked at, you know, we're going to spend our draft picks in those rounds on somebody who, you know, has a, a 5% chance of being a major leaguer one day versus somebody who's got a 1% chance of being a major leaguer one day, but is a much better baseball player for the next three or four years and can help you know the minor league teams play better, uh, at least for a couple of years. Um, and I, I see the argument for both of those sides. I, I really do. Um, but I, I think that's been one area where I've noticed, particularly in rookie and A-ball, that some other organizations do really well that the Reds have not done well in. What's the thinking of a player like that who really doesn't see past double A or something like that? What's the shelf life of a guy that does that? Uh, yeah, it could be six or seven years. It, it, it just really depends. I mean, some of these guys, they can hang around for a long time in double A. I mean, right now there's a guy who just got promoted to triple A, Alex Powers. I mean, he absolutely dominated double-A for two and a half years. And and it's not like he doesn't have, you know, he's not some guy out there slinging a 86-mile-an-hour screwball just messing guys up because they don't, they've never seen a screwball before and he's the only guy that throws one. I mean, he's a guy, he'll throw 92 to 96 miles an hour. And for the last two years in double-A with the Reds, his ERA was like 2.2 and he struck out 12 batters per nine innings, didn't walk guys. I mean, that's the kind of guy who has struggled somehow to get promoted to triple a he just got there and shocker he's been dominant since he got there in the last week and a half um but i I mean there are guys like that that they just hang around if you're good enough for the most part to have success in double a they'll at least keep you around because i mean winning is important to a certain extent um i mean you, you don't too often see guys that are 27 years old who've had double a success that are still healthy that don't have jobs so if you can play at that level even if you don't necessarily project to be a major leaguer you can usually stick around for a while that's really cool because it's something that i've always wondered with all of the many many rounds that the draft for major league baseball has it just i'm like man where do these guys go how long do they last and uh, that's really cool i appreciate that yeah i mean yeah Clearly, a lot of those guys aren't going to last that long. But, I mean, sometimes these guys do. I mean, you, you just you just never know. And, and I, like I said, you know, I think that that's one of the reasons why, you know, taking some more of these guys that are, you know, say, a good Big Ten player, a good Pac-12 player, but maybe not a, a big-time prospect, that can work out because, you know, sometimes those guys develop a little bit later. Baseball's a weird sport 
in that you know they they really focus on your age. I mean, if you want to look at like the international side of things, you don't see too many guys signing contracts at 18 years old. If you're not signed by the time you're 17, they kind of just forget about you existing, which is really weird because here in America that means you're a high school senior. And how many times have we seen guys go undrafted as high school seniors and then be first round talents two or three years later? I mean, the guy playing center field in Cincinnati right now. He was one of the best prospects in baseball coming into the year. Undrafted as an 18-year-old. And it wasn't because he told teams he wasn't going to sign. Teams didn't think he was draft ready. What is the lowest round draft pick that's currently on the Reds' major league roster? I don't actually know the answer to this. That's why I'm asking. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if it were Amir Garrett. Um, yeah, I think he went. In, he was in the 21st or 22nd round. Uh, but he also got first slash second round money to sign. The draft rules were very different back then. So that's kind of a cheating answer. Um, it would have been, it would have to be, it would be Tanner Roark, I'm guessing. He went in the 25th round. Real quick, before we let you go, Doug, I really appreciate having you on. What do you got coming up? Other than a lot of uh, draft profiles and all that good stuff, what do you got coming up for RedsMinorLeagues.com? Honestly, uh, it, it's all draft stuff. Um, once once the draft is over, then we kind of get a better feel of what the the short season rookie league teams are going to look like in, in Greenville and Billings and out in Goodyear. Uh, but in, until the draft gets done and we kind of know who's going to sign and not going to sign, it's it's all just focusing on the draft at this point. So uh, as I as I mentioned earlier, the the draft is hectic and crazy for me for three days, and so until that's over, that's pretty much all that I focus on. Well, hey, Doug, I really appreciate having you on. Hopefully you get some good sleep here in the next couple of days to bank up for it. But uh, tell you what, guys, head on over to RedsMinorLeagues.com. And if you are not a Patreon supporter of the website, there's lots of great perks and benefits to being a Patreon supporter of RedsMinorLeagues.com. You want to tell them a few of those perks? Yeah, well, uh, the the big one is during the season, uh, you get an email every morning in your inbox kind of gives you what's, what happened the night before. It, it's kind of like what happens on the site where it's, it's a rundown of each game, but there's more additional notes on, on the different players, you know, what they've been doing lately. Um, you know, just little little fun notes and tidbits about each guy. But you also get early access to all scouting reports and things like that. And, you know, with the draft coming up, uh, there's going to be a lot of new players coming through that, you know, probably over the next month or so will have good first professional scouting reports coming through on. So. If that's something you're looking for, uh, yeah, I, I got you on that one. If you're looking for the man that knows when it comes to Reds minor leagues, Doug knows. Doug, thanks so much for coming on today, and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thanks for having me. Not a problem, and uh, you know how to get a hold of me. That'll do it for this week of Locked On Reds podcasting. Thank you so much for downloading and listening this week. If you have not already, hit that subscribe button on all your major podcasting apps. Check us out on Twitter at Locked On Reds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And then head over to LockedOnReds.com for even more great content from our team of writers. Big thanks to Hotels.com and Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast. And a big thanks to you for listening. For the Locked On Reds podcast, my name is Jeff Carr, and I will talk to you on Monday. You guys have a great weekend, and go Reds!